Hey everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and today we are finishing up our discussion around Godzilla, the Showa era films. This is part two. Uh, the second episode, or the first episode, already came out and is available on all of the places that you can find a podcast. But we are now diving into the second half of these movies. I just finished watching them yesterday, and if you can't tell the excitement on my voice, I'm very excited to talk about these films. Uh, just as the uh, background kind of suggested, these films are. A little weaker than the prior films that we talked about, but there are some gems in here that I found that I will recommend as we dive in. So we're going starting from Destroy All Monsters all the way through to Terror of Mecha Godzilla. And again, we'll start with Destroy All Monsters. So this movie came out in 1968, and this is actually, it's very possible that this was the first Godzilla movie that I ever watched. Uh, I do remember watching it as a little kid. I talked about it in the last episode. I think I, I got it from the library at one point as well, or maybe it was Blockbuster, I'm not sure. Uh, it definitely came on TV at one point too, but... I loved this movie. Uh, it, it was not as amazing as I remembered it to be, but it is still a really great film that I would recommend, and it's it's just because there are so many monsters in this movie. This is the one where every single monster is there. There are 11 monsters, and all of them eventually are going to fight King Ghidorah, uh, just like in the most recent Godzilla movie. But I wanted to highlight a couple of the monsters that I really liked in this. Obviously, we we love Godzilla, we love King Ghidorah, we love Anguirus and Mothra, but there are a bunch of newcomers in here as well. There's Gorosaurus, who basically just looks like an Allosaurus, and then my personal favorite, which is Manda. This was the creature that I loved the most when I originally saw this movie, and that's because it's basically just a giant long dragon, and uh, it doesn't have a lot of scenes, and I think that's why I... Uh, didn't really misremember the movie, but uh, when you're watching it by itself, especially when you're older and can recognize it, there aren't as many scenes with the monsters, and you'll notice as these films go on that the uh, the production value does go down, and that's just due to budget constraints. These films, over time, were not producing the results that the uh, studio wanted, and so the budget would get cut every single time. And so each movie, you can tell that they're working with less and less. Though this movie, Destroy All Monsters, was supposed to be this sort of finale of Godzilla, the final movie. Uh, Ishiro Honda directs this one, uh, but Jun Fukuda also uh, directs pieces of it as well. And uh, he ends up taking over for a lot of these movies, or he he kind of directed a lot of the ones in the in the prior episode. Uh, but he does some more in the future, and then we get a lot of newcomers. But this was supposed to be the rah rah finale of Godzilla. Why why not? I mean, the same way it's like Avengers Endgame. This is this is all of the monsters, and we have to destroy them all. But the plot of the film that is again more focused on than the monsters is these female aliens who take control of the monsters and use them to destroy the human race and so essentially the movie is about them 
uh, kind of manipulating all of these monsters, and they end up going to different places all over the world, like Moscow, and I believe London, and, and some other areas, and just destroy things. And it's it's awesome. I mean, that's what we want in our monster movies, but eventually they end up finding out uh, how to stop these aliens, and it's it's kind of the same way you would always expect. Again, these are this one isn't really that low of a budget, but the story it's itself, you know, it has to be wrapped up in a nice bow. So they do defeat the monsters, or they defeat the aliens, and are able to take the control away from the monsters, give them their free will back. And by that time, the the aliens kind of play their trump card, which is, okay, you know, we're bringing in King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah is always used by aliens as the bad guy monster. And honestly, I'm okay with that because he's super powerful, or they are super powerful. It's a three-headed beast uh, with wings. It's gold. What more do you want? It's got an iconic screech. Uh, that again is is brought up perfectly in the most recent Godzilla movie, but by the end of it, all of the monsters battle King Ghidorah at Mount Fuji, and uh, they they overcome. But the reason, one of the big pieces in here, and, and what I like the most is even though the monsters aren't in every single scene, as I personally believe they should, uh, the scenes that we do get are awesome. And and one that always stuck out to me, and uh, or stood out to me, and as I was watching it, realized, oh, that's probably why I loved Manda so much. Is there's this bit where Manda's crawling around near a sort of subway, not subway, but train rail line, uh, one of the train lines that is propped up on pillars, so it's a train high above the city sort of thing, and it's slowly wrapping its body around this train rail, uh, it's like a monorail, and cracking the monorail train tracks, and it's so epic, and it, it is one of those moments where if you're not paying attention, you'll forget that it is all done on a set. And we kind of talked about that in the last episode, but you just see the brilliant choreography between all these these monsters and how, yeah, sometimes you can see the strings, but you, you remember at that point that there are people above in the real-life rafters moving these creatures around, trying to make sure everything syncs up. And so to be able to have this creature wrap itself around a monorail line, I, I can't even imagine what would go into creating a scene like that so I, I just huge props for this film uh, like I said I loved it when I was a kid I love it now and uh, surprisingly like I said this was this was my favorite Godzilla movie because it was kind of my intro into the series but it's a little further down the line now there are some other ones that that I enjoyed a little more and we'll we'll talk about that at the very end but we'll move on to the next movie which is all monsters attack and so uh, when I first got this set and I was looking at this, I thought I was like, hell yeah, okay, destroy all monsters, let's go. But then I was like, all monsters attack? Are you really telling me that destroy all monsters comes out? We have 11 monsters battle. And there's another movie that tries to up the ante of all of the monsters. Are there more than 11 monsters? This is crazy. Well, the bad news is that is not at all what this movie is about. And it is a tragedy, though there are some silver linings in this film. Uh, this was almost my least favorite movie of them all. Uh, I did I gave this one a 5 out of 10. And I'll say right now, that's that's the lowest rating I have for any of these movies. Is I've given a couple of them 5 five out of tens, but I still like them. I, I don't think I actively hated any of the Godzilla movies, 
but I'll explain why I gave this movie a five. In, in, in any other circumstances, it's very possible this movie could have gotten a seven, but the reason I gave it a five is because almost all of the monster scenes are stock footage from prior films. And so with that, I'm going to dive into what the story of this movie is, because the story itself is very interesting. It's just the movie immediately lost my attention. It's the same as when when I talked in the episode of the Bruce Lee films, when they had the Game of Death 2 and in Game of Death, where they used stock footage of Bruce Lee after he had died. This is, in my opinion, the same exact thing. And they did it because the budgets were getting cut and they had to save as much money as they could. So the story of All Monsters Attack is that a bullied schoolboy uh, dreams of tra- traveling to Monster Island where all of the monsters are. And that that's kind of hinted at in uh, two movies prior in, in uh, Son of Godzilla when they, uh, you know, there's a bunch of monsters on the island in Son of Godzilla and one of the people there says, oh, this place is crazy. We should call it Monster Island. And I was like, ooh, I remember Monster Island from uh, Destroy All Monsters. And yep, in Destroy All Monsters, all the animal, most of the monsters are on one island together. I don't know how they coexist, but they do, and it's great. But in this movie, uh, a little kid is though the, all of the stock footage makes sense only in the sense that it is in his head. So this entire film, he's been bullied uh, both by kids at school and then also uh, eventually by some adults who are trying to kind of kidnap him. And it's a really sad story because it highlights something that, uh, and I, I don't know how prevalent it was at the time, but it's a kid, he has parents, but both of his parents work and they are never around. And so he's kind of a latchkey kid is how they describe it. And so he's just kind of has, has to fend for himself and come up with these these sort of imaginative stories. And so he, his story is he's best friends with Manila, which is Godzilla's kid. And uh, again, super off-putting. He talks with Manila and Manila talks back. Uh, and it was in Japanese, but it was still really weird to hear this really creepy creature. Again, Son of Godzilla has always been creepy for me. It just looks like a tiny bald lizard and whatever, but... I immediately lost interest because I was like, this is just, it's all in his head. And the only spots of the movie that kept my attention were in the real world because eventually he ends up having to learn from Manila through all of the stock footage how to be brave and how to be courageous and uh, kind of how to stand up to bullies. And he does so at the end of the movie, which is great. But like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of Ibira, which uh, was from one of those prior films. There's stock footage from Ibira. And so I was like, great. If you guys remember, I complained about that bit where Ibira and Godzilla are throwing rocks at each other. And Ibira is catching them in his pincer, throwing them back at Godzilla. Godzilla's headbutting them back. They reused that scene. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I hated it the first time. I did not, not trying to watch it a second time. So that movie immediately went to the bottom of my list. And I was very grateful that some of the films later on uh, beat it to the bottom just because i do like that message of uh you know a kid standing up to bullies but this this also was a turning point for the godzilla movies because up until now they had kind of been marketing these movies to adults especially in the beginning right like the first godzilla movie is a very a very dark movie a very noir movie and eventually the godzilla himself starts getting a lot sillier a lot more comedic And at this point in time, when All Monsters Attack came out, this movie is all from the perspective of this kid. So this film is meant for children. 
And, uh, you know, love it or hate it, that's kind of the direction that they started going because the, the ticket sales were going down. So they had to find a way to keep Godzilla alive. And God bless them for trying because we're, we wouldn't be where we are today without these films. Uh, but it was a, a bummer that they had to use so much stock footage. So this one uh, got bumped down to uh, the bottom of the list again until a couple of these other ones go. But after All Monsters Attack was what I would call the surprise front runner of these movies, and that is Godzilla versus Hedorah. I was not, at this point, I was not looking forward to these films. And I'm I say that in terms of like I was not expecting any of the films after All Monsters Attack to impress me. After what happened in that movie, I was like, okay. And they say it in the uh, the Criterion kind of informationals that they have in here, which are fantastic. About you know this was a turning point for the Godzilla films. They they started going downhill from here for, from some perspectives, and so I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna buckle up. I'll I'll be ready. I loved this movie. I thought Godzilla vs. Hedorah was one of the best of all of the movies. And even reading the informational about this film, there was a sort of um, polarization in this in this movie. There are people who hate this film uh, because it doesn't make sense in a lot of spots. Godzilla it does some pretty crazy things. I believe it's in this film. But essentially... The story here is kind of the same as the first Godzilla, except with a different uh, impetus. And so that is uh, through pollution. So there's this creature, Hedorah, uh, that is created by a kid, in, in initially created by a kid, he, and then eventually it's a real creature. So it comes from space, and through the sludge and pollution that is in the ocean... Uh, this creature can form and grow. And so it starts out as like a tiny tadpole. And as more of these tadpoles that are born of the sludge connect and grow, the creature gets bigger and bigger. And the kid calls it Hedorah because it means, I believe, from sludge or the creature from sludge. And so it's a really great look at Again, like the first Godzilla movie was all about anti-nuclear war. This movie is all about anti-pollution, and I really liked the message. It's a little heavy-handed in that the bad guy is essentially Muck from Pokemon. I'm not complaining, though, because it wasn't so heavy-handed that I was like, come on, we get it. It was really good for the time, and especially because this movie came out in 1971. It's right around that time of the... Uh, kind of a you know the, the hippie movement and and you really see that in this movie there's a random bit where the people just start singing and dancing they have this like impromptu party on the beach and they're playing music and all of this stuff and it's it, it felt very 70s but at the same time Hidora is frightening so this creature again it, it grows over time more tadpoles join it and it turns into this giant beast that looks almost like Cthulhu from HP Lovecraft but it's all sludge and so when it shoots sludge at Godzilla or at anything, it immediately corrodes and rusts it. So there's a really cool science behind this film as well that I was, it was super easy to follow. And like I said, this movie kept my attention the entire time. I loved it. And, uh, and so eventually, though, uh, the creature ends up evolving even more as it takes on, I think, even more sludge or a life of its own. Whatever the case may be, it turns into a second form. And that form is, it almost looks like a cuttlefish. It's like a mix between a cuttlefish and a flying saucer. And so now it's airborne and it can fly. And so it flies around and while it flies underneath it is, uh, it, it sprays out a poisonous gas. 
and people die from it. Like there's scenes of people falling prey to the gas and they die. So there's serious consequences in this movie. And then it moves into an even more final form, which is the one it uses to fight Godzilla, where it's just this giant creature. I think it's even a little bigger than Godzilla. And it was really cool because as the as the fighting progresses towards the end of the film, Hidora can change into its forms at will. So at one point when it looks like it's losing to Godzilla, it turns into its flying form and flies away. And then at another point it uh it and i think this is the one where it it is this one so the the humans uh are helping godzilla and they're they're essentially tag teaming because this creature is devastating and so they create this machine that looks like two giant billboards that are you know metallic and within it if you uh it's it's like electricity i believe or like some form of electricity that can actually kill Hidora, and they're, they're like testing it on tiny portions of the tadpoles. It's really cool. The science, like I said, is awesome. Uh, and so Godzilla is trying to get Hidora to get here, and it does. So they have a fight there, and then Hidora presumably gets destroyed. But Godzilla does this thing where he's like, you know, we need to make sure, basically, we need to do the headshot. And so Godzilla steps on Ghidorah, or Hidora, <coughs> excuse me, Hidora, and a smaller version escapes. And starts fleeing towards the sea to kind of recuperate. And Godzilla, <laughs> Godzilla uses his fi- his his breath, his like fire breath, to fly. And this was one of the instances where uh, you know they really were stretching Godzilla's powers. But honestly, I wasn't complaining. And it's funny because when I was reading the informational, they're like, "Yeah, that was a huge." Uh, sticking point for a lot of film goers they were like this is nuts essentially Godzilla like jumps up in the air puts his tail under his legs and just breathes his fire and flies backwards (laughs) to catch Hidora and then bring Hidora back to that that section of electricity to get him again and they do that like twice and it's cool he doesn't fly twice i don't think but each time Ghidorah gets smaller and smaller until he's non-existent and so it's just a really cool story because at the same time the main character is this kid and i i believe it's the same kid from all monsters attack and it's the same kid in one of the future movies as well, which I, be- I believe uh, Godzilla versus <clears throat> Godzilla versus Megalon. Uh, so this props to this little kid for pulling off a bunch of different Godzilla movies when he was little. But what I loved most about him and his performance is he is so com- confident, so matter of fact. And everybody believes him. His father is the scientist that's kind of discovering everything, but he's the one prompting his dad. Like at one point, he talks about the, um, you know, how how can we defeat Hidora? And again, his son comes up with the name Hidora, and his dad's like, yeah, that's a pretty good name. And boom, awesome, everyone believes him. He talks to the news at one point and is advising people on how to, you know, avoid polluting and all that stuff. Super cool. But so his father's like, well, how can we defeat this creature? And the son's like, well, you know, if he's always around sludge and water, like, what if we dried him out? And his dad's like, oh, yeah, like, that makes total sense. So it was just really cool to see a young kid kind of speaking up and the adults believing him. Moving on to the next film, Godzilla versus Gigan. I was really excited to see this one as well because I had seen the posters uh, or at least just seen the creature designs for Gigan. Uh, For any of you who aren't familiar, that's the creature that is like, he has a visor for eyes, kind of like Cyclops, and then his claws are, or his, his arm hands are basically pincers, and I didn't know this, absolutely ridiculous, 
but his chest is a giant buzzsaw. It's really weird to watch that on the movie, uh, but he was a really cool beast. And so this is when this after Hidora, I was really excited for these other movies because I was like, okay, awesome. Hidora was great. And uh, one of my favorites now of all of these. So hopefully I'll have a couple more as it goes. No, no, no. These these next movies all fill out the bottom of the Godzilla list. But I will say, uh, like I said, I don't hate any of them. Like they all have their own moments. They all have their own magic about them. Uh, but you can tell the budget is struggling. The uh, set pieces and music, like they, they're using some stock footage. They're using some uh, stock music. And, you know, they had to do what they could at the time. And they're reusing Godzilla costumes, too. They've always been doing that, but they're, they're doing more so here. So uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan is about a guy who starts to, and the way IMDb says it is, a man begins to suspect that something is wrong about his employers. Uh, but at the same time, Godzilla and Anguirus are alerted to something strange going on. And, and I'll tell you what's strange about it is that Godzilla and Anguirus talk to each other and I, you may be thinking okay cool that's pretty normal these monsters they, they're all screaming at each other no 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 they're they're making sounds but on the screen word bubbles are popping up and i, I watched it again i watched all of these in japanese so they're they're popped up with the word bubbles and then the, the subtitles are down below they're talking to each other and they're saying like hey we need to go check this out and it was it was very off-putting i didn't like it uh, but it, you know, again, it, it adds to the charm. So I wasn't complaining too much, but the story is this guy's employers are aliens from another world. And you're going to get that because that is the actual answer of the next four films are all aliens as the bad guy. So this is part of the whole alien craze. We're going to start getting into the whole Ultraman and robot craze in these next movies. But essentially the story is these two guys are trying to bring Gigan to Earth to destroy Earth so that they can rule. And we find out though what kind of what kind of alien would want to you know they they say okay if you want to rule the wor the world why are you destroying it like what would be left to rule mm, well the secret is these guys are cockroaches <laughs> and if that sounds crazy it's because it is so they're regular humans and it was actually an intriguing storyline at first because they're starting to do some investigating the the normal people and they're like talking about like hey here's the people that we saw they're very suspicious and someone's like no. No, 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 they've been dead for a year. And it's like, what? They're, so they're dead. So who are these? Are they, did they come back to life? Did they fake their death? And it just turns out that these cockroach, these giant cockroaches have assumed the bodies. I don't, they don't talk about whether the bodies are dug up or what, but they're, they're using them. At, and this is a theme that is reused in a lot of these films, but they're, they're secretly that. So there's, there's a bit where the power goes out at the business and in the shadow of them is a cockroach and they're like oh my god like that's what they are they're cockroaches so that makes sense if the world's destroyed the only thing that would survive would be a cockroach and the funny piece of it too again made for kids is that the entire film or most of the movie takes place at a theme park and it's this godzilla theme park and so the plan is twofold first we're going to bring gigan to battle Godzilla. Also, by the way, we're going to bring King Ghidorah as well. Don't ask me why. That's what we're doing. Uh, and so this is the first movie that kicks off the tag team battles of Godzilla, which is great. I really liked that. And so it's Anguirus and Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and uh, Gigan. But the second piece of it is 
at this theme park where their office is or the secret lab is at the top of the tower that is Godzilla. It's a giant Godzilla statue, basically. And so there's some pretty cool bits with there where the you know the people get locked up and they have to escape, and they escape via a zip line outside of Godzilla, which is really cool. Uh, but Godzilla gets the crap beaten out of him in this movie. There were multiple times where I legitimately thought that he was going to die because this giant, not just because Gigan and Hidora are, you know, reaming on him, but because this giant Godzilla statue shoots these beams out of its eyes that seriously injure Godzilla. Like, he's down on the ground for a really long portion of the movie, and it's just through his own sheer will and the help of Anguirus to uh, get him back but like I said it's this kind of tag team mentality where him and Anguirus are tag teaming against Gigan and Hidorah, or Ghidorah and uh, it's cool because they would take one out or fight the other one and at one point I was watching Anguirus and, and he's like kind of struggling and I was like dude you know what and, and for those of you that are like who, who the hell is Anguirus I didn't listen to the last episode uh, Anguirus is a saint, essentially like an ankylosaur so it's on four legs it's a human in the suit though so the back legs are always on its knees uh, but it's got a giant turtle shell on its back that has spikes on it and kind of a tail like that as well and so as I'm watching this I was like he should just throw himself at these beasts uh, backwards because, you know, his spikes on his shell. And, and meanwhile, I could call it out earlier, but I'm, I'm stressing to you how ridiculous it is when Gigan is fighting both Godzilla and Anguirus. He's, you know, pulling up this buzzsaw on his chest. It's just kind of vibrating, but it looks like a buzzsaw spinning. And he's like hacking at people as he walks forward. And it was really weird. But he does, Anguirus does do that at one point. He flies backwards and hits them with his chest. I was like, oh, that is awesome. And it's funny because when I was reading the, the information on this one, they're like another instance of the monster doing something that isn't really plausible of Anguirus flying backwards. And I was like, honestly, I don't care. Like, I, I was sold on it. I, I was in it. I enjoyed the entertainment value of it. But overall, and, and like I said, the movie isn't amazing, uh, but it wasn't the worst one. I like this better than All Monsters Attack, that's for sure. Uh, but by the end of it, they defeat the, the cockroaches. They defeat the bad guys. Godzilla and Anguirus head back. And of course, though, how, how do they defeat... Every single time Godzilla or anybody fights King Ghidorah, King Ghidorah never dies. He always just retreats. And so the end of the movie is Ghidorah and Gigan flying away and Godzilla and Anguirus um, leaving. And I, I will say, too, this is the start of the bad endings because that's the end of the movie. There's no resolution for any of the characters. There's nothing. It just ends. And that is how all of these ones end. And it's really upsetting because I was like, ah, every single movie, it's nice. They're all only an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, most of them are like an hour and 25 minutes. You could tack on a couple minutes at the end just for a, a, like a reunion with the family or finding out how things progress afterwards. But you know what? The budget was bad. They had to save the money. I get it. It was just a bummer. So moving on from that film, we go into Godzilla versus Megalon, which I was I was interested in because I I didn't I wasn't familiar with Megalon. Uh, at all and so I was like "Ooh, I'm excited to see what this creature looks like but also when I had read a little bit ahead on the informational this movie incorporates a robot 
not just any robot, a knockoff of Ultraman. And so if any of you don't know, Ultraman is a character in, in Japanese film as well, uh, kind of a robot guy. I have not seen the films, though I did start reading the Marvel comics about Ultraman, The Rise of Ultraman, which is actually on Marvel Unlimited. I think they're up to the fourth issue. I stopped reading after the second issue, but I did really enjoy the first. It's just the, the, the sort of Power Rangers robot type concept. And so the story for this one, like I said, takes place place from a kid's perspective and uh it's interesting though this it is about the sea world of the undersea nation of seatopia s-e-a-topia uh kind of off of they, they talk about it in here of like lumeria or you could say like atlantis it's essentially a ancient civilization that has gone underground because of of this that and the other and i gotta tell you uh, not good in this film that that grouping of people is led by a couple of old white guys which didn't really make sense to me since it was in japan and i don't know why i mean everyone else in the film was japanese except the leader of Seatopia. though the scenes in Seatopia could probably be counted on five five hands could count on one hand so it, it's very brief you don't see a lot about it but essentially what's happening is Seatopia is sick and tired of the the surface world testing their nuclear bombs which is obviously shaking up things down below and so they crack open the earth and release megalon which is this creature that sort of looks like heracross from pokemon as well uh, but his hands are drills and so that part was pretty cool it drills through the earth and shoots up into the uh, kind of into the air there's this awesome scene where it's wrecking this dam but the, the human story is that um, this guy and his little brother again the little kid from the other films uh, he created a robot that he calls jet jaguar and it is essentially ultraman and it's this robot the Seatopia people are trying to get this robot because they believe the robot will guide megalon to where he needs to go make sense no well didn't make sense to me either and then guess what if we're going to throw a little bit on top of that uh gigan shows up <laughs> somehow gigan shows up and so it's gigan and hidor or gigan and megalon against godzilla and ultra or <laughs> godzilla and ultraman uh godzilla and jet jaguar well hey alex though you've been talking about this film and you haven't even mentioned godzilla that's right folks godzilla doesn't even really show up in this movie until the very end so a lot of the titles of these films are wrong in my opinion they should be completely different i don't necessarily agree with godzilla versus gigan i guess but in this movie it 100 percent should be jet jaguar versus megalon because that's most of the fight but by the end of it uh jet jaguar and godzilla team up to fight megalon and and gigan and that was actually a cool if not corny scene was they they end up overpowering the programming of jet jaguar and get him back to be a good guy and they say hey you need to go get godzilla and so he flies to monster island and does this like sign language bit where he's moving his arms like come on come with me we need to go help and godzilla's like you got it i'll be there and so they both head head off in that direction and then jet jaguar actually increases his size which i didn't know was a power 
uh, to be the size of Godzilla because, you know, originally he's just the size of a regular person. And so he turns to that size, they fight, obviously they win. This is another instance, though, where Godzilla gets the crap beaten out of him. And I think I think that's a, a kind of a theme in these Godzilla movies is he really gets beat up before he comes back and wins. But as usual, they do. The Seatopia people are like, that's it. Bring back Megalon. We, you know, we're, we're done. And so the heat, Megalon goes back into the, into the bowels of the earth and all of the cracks and fissures that they created are put back together. And that's about it. I mean, I'm, I'm skipping over some things. I probably will be on these films because again, kind of forgettable. This one, I gave a five. Uh, I liked this better than all monsters attack. The only reason for that is because there's not any stock footage in these films. So like bits and pieces, sure, when they're doing little fights or or doing flashbacks, but the entire film is not stock footage. So there's a lot of props to be given there above All Monsters Attack. From there, the next two films are around Mecha Godzilla, which I was excited for. I've seen a lot of stuff from Mecha Godzilla. Uh, he's one of those classic, you know, we, we made him so that we can sell toys. Uh, also, though, just because that time period, which was 1974, uh, robot craze. Everyone wanted to see robots. So this movie is Mechagodzilla uh, fighting against uh, Godzilla and also uh, King Caesar. Though, interestingly enough, I'm looking at this and it's set, it's on the on the poster it says it looks like Anguirus is there but Anguirus is very brief in the movie if anything it's at the very beginning of the film doesn't even fight Mechagodzilla as far as I remember who knows who honestly knows but uh King Caesar oh we bring in Caesar back from the dead no 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 this is uh and and we'll dive into the story here because both of these I liked this first one better than the second one but both of them were pretty boring and I'm bummed because the premise of it was really interesting, but it just, it was a boring movie. So these ape-like aliens that are pretending to be human, so they look human, but when you shoot them or they die, they turn into, uh, they're green apes. So they they look almost identical to the planet of the apes, but uh, they're green. And again, I don't know why they chose that. Maybe it's because Planet of the Apes was super successful around this time. They wanted to capitalize on that. I don't know. But just like with any other of these Godzilla movies, those apes want to take over the world uh, to conquer Earth. And so they they studied the monsters and found the most powerful to be Godzilla. So they crafted a, a robot, Mecha Godzilla, to take him out. At the same time, there's this lady who has this prophecy about King Caesar, which is this creature that sort of looks like a kind of a mix between a dog and a lion uh, that fights as well. I didn't get me. I mean, half the movie is them figuring out how this prophecy works. It's like, oh, the, the moon, when the moon is red and the sun rises in the west, it's like, oh, what's going on? And by the end of it, they're like, oh, it's the reflection of the red moon. And so they have to put this statue onto a specific spot and it releases, uh, it releases King Caesar, but not before that same lady has to sing a song to King Caesar. So you put the statue on, this giant mountain explodes and inside the mountain is Caesar sleeping soundly. And she's like, oh, King Caesar. And the, uh, the thing wakes up. And so it, (laughs) If I'm I am honestly I'm looking at this as I because when I'm recording I look at Audacity and I see we're at we're at about 34 minutes on here. I am really impressed that I have not laughed at, at a lot of this stuff because it is ridiculous. A lot of this is really ridiculous, especially this bit. I was just like, come on, like you have to see, you and she's standing 
probably at least a mile away from this mountain on the side of a beach where, you know, the waves are crashing down. How does Caesar hear her? I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not the one who made this movie, but of course, they defeat Mechagodzilla. I will say, Mechagodzilla was pretty cool. He's got these r- rainbow beams that he shoots out of his eyes. He's got this stuff that he shoots out of his chest. He's got missiles that he shoots out of his fingers and toes. And uh, it's cool. It was a good fight. But it still was just, you know, comparatively to the other fights, it just didn't really stand up. And then Terror of Mechagodzilla that came out one year later is actually like a direct sequel to uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla in that the first probably five minutes of the movie, five, ten minutes, are uh, stock footage from the prior movie just catching people up to the film, which you take it or leave it. That's kind of the way that it is. But you're caught up and it's the same uh, the same bad guys and they have now discovered that there's this underwater creature called Titanosaurus which I'm down with. It was a cool creature. It reminds me a little bit of Manda, and it is a uh, <clears throat> a dinosaur underwater that is controlled by this lady, and she doesn't really know it. It's like a psychic connection, and, and uh, the movie starts out with the, the humans are trying to recover the, the wreckage of Mechagodzilla from the prior film so that they can prevent it from being used, or maybe they're going to build it into their own. Who knows? But when they go down there, there isn't any wreckage all there is is titanosaurus and it destroys the sub and so they're like what's going on and so again it's revealed that these aliens got the mechagodzilla parts rebuilt it and they're trying to use titanosaurus to do the exact same thing they were doing in the last movie to take over the world uh what's interesting though is ishiro honda came back and directed this movie after a very long absence and this is honestly right before he took another very long absence from from film uh so very interesting that he would pick this to come back to i I don't know i mean the movie was i gave this one a five but i think i even put this one below all monsters attack only because it just it was boring and it was like okay you know we saw these bad guys last film they didn't do it the first time how do you think they're going to do it the second time well they do it by manipulating the woman in the movie uh, and and it's through her father so it's this weird side story where they're trying to get the father who has been secluded and hiding everyone thinks he's dead because he had radical ideas about biology and about science and so he's all like oh yeah we can totally turn mechagodzilla into blah 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 blah, blah. And his daughter loves him. And so she's like, I'll do whatever you want. And, and they're telling his, his, him, like, hey, tell your daughter to yeah, use Titanosaurus to, for you know, evil purposes. And he's like, okay, cool. And, and in doing so, causes her to die. And honestly, I don't even remember how she dies. I just remember seeing her on an operating table. And they're like, oh, can we save her? And they're like, yeah, we're going to turn her into a robot. And so they do. Like, her insides are all robotic. And they end up tying her to Mechagodzilla. There is a sort of continuation kill switch. I don't know what you want to call it. That they put inside of her. That immediately ties her to the fate of Mechagodzilla. So uh, by the end of the movie, she sacrifices herself. And is like, please kill me so that you can kill Mechagodzilla. And they do. So she dies twice in this movie. It was very reminiscent of Vision in Infinity War. And I'll say this. I, I enjoyed that a lot more than I enjoyed this. But of course, they win. Um, you know, the bad guys are destroyed and it's like okay cool but 
like I said, it, it really took a downward turn on those last two films, and I watched both of them back-to-back. Uh, I didn't realize that they were going to actually be back-to-back. That enhanced it for sure, but it didn't enhance it enough for me to, <laughs> to me to you know talk positively about these films, uh, but only to that respect, like not so negatively that I, you know, I hated these movies. I did give this one a five, which in my book, a five just means it's not good. Uh, it's verging on really bad, but it's more so just kind of bad, but it's that so bad that it's good type thing. Like I could find things that I loved in each of these movies and I could honestly, well, say i could fi- i could find things that would make me want to re-watch these but you would really have to f- you'd probably have to pay me to re-watch a couple of them but some of these other ones like i definitely want to re-watch godzilla versus hedora and th- and that's what i'll i'll end this on and this will be kind of our wrap-up and our takeaways so the movies that i would highly recommend out of this for those of you that are thinking okay um, I, I'm enjoying just listening to this podcast. I don't have time to watch 15 Godzilla movies. Who does, honestly, besides me? Um, here's what my recommendations would be. Number one, above all, 1954 Godzilla. The original Godzilla, uh, nothing beats that in my opinion. It's it's fresh for when it came out. It's dark. It's gritty. The camera work is amazing. The music is incredible. And it, it stands out as just such a strong movie of its time. So I would really recommend that. I would recommend God, uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster from 1964. Uh, you get Ghidorah, you get Mothra, you get Rodan, and you get Godzilla. But you also get the, the, the three of them teaming up to fight Ghidorah. And you get this great bit where Mothra is brokering a peace treaty between the three of them of like, we've got to destroy Ghidorah or he's going to destroy the earth. Fantastic. So I, I love that movie. Plus the human story about the princess and the prophetess is awesome. I thought that was really cool. And then I would say, uh, you know, maybe, and I'm just going down the line as I'm looking here, but you, you could check out Son of Godzilla. I thought that one was interesting. It's fun that it's in a faraway location on an island. Um, good, but I would definitely recommend Destroy All Monsters. That one is an instant classic. You're getting every single monster fighting. Uh, you get some cool, uh, creepy alien ladies. And then finally, like I said, I would do Godzilla versus Hedorah just so that you can see what... Uh, what kind of a risk you could take in making a Godzilla movie. Uh, you know, the first Godzilla movie was a, a risk in and of itself just because it was a very anti-nuclear message. And then they play, they started turning Godzilla into this sort of, okay, we're going to turn him into more of a comedian. It, not super funny, but like, oh, he's going to have more funny movements. He's he's more of a protector of Earth now than, than this, this force of nature. And so it was cool to see in this one them flipping that anti-nuclear message into an anti-pollution message, which came and created a really cool villain. So to me, I wish they would have taken that film and used that as a basis for future films to say, okay, what's another sort of ecological or scientific thing that humans are not like, you know, who knows? And I'm spitballing at this point, but a really cool modern day Godzilla villain could be something created from technology or something created from our over-reliance of technology or maybe you know the fact that there's new iphones every single year right so where do all those old iphones go well eventually they get thrown away i would imagine or they they end up in some landfill like that could be the return of hedora or it could be some brand new creature that's created from the the latent wi-fi signals and uh you know like i said i'm just spitballing but that would be cool I, to me that's very creative versus 
is like, oh, let's just keep creating these big monsters from outer space that are going to show up and fight Godzilla. So those are my recommendations. Overall, though, I am so happy that I finally was able to sit down and watch all of these films, especially in preparation for this movie. I do have plans to watch some of the other Godzilla films. I don't know if I'll do episodes on them, but more so just to kind of catch up before the movie, like the 2014 Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters, Kong, Kong Skull Island. Those were great. I really do want to watch Godzilla Final Wars, uh, but I'd have to rent it, so I don't know. I don't know how that's possible. But because this is comics and cinema, and we've been talking a lot about cinema, I figured we could we could close this out with a couple of comic book recommendations. Because as I'm sure you would have guessed, I do have some. Uh, there are some Godzilla stories that I love in the comics. There's some that I haven't read. I have heard that Godzilla Rulers of the Earth is really good. I have not read it, but I, I would. I, obviously, I'll read anything Godzilla. But from the ones that I've read, I've got a couple of great ones for you. And these are all available, surprisingly, available on Comixology Unlimited. So they're free if you've got that. But uh, you know, if you have to buy it, I'd recommend it because they're really good. The first one is Godzilla Half-Century War. This is a book that I had read when it first came out. Uh, I had heard something. Actually, it, it was I was traveling in tech to Texas, and IGN had put out their review of the comic and gave it a 10 out of 10. And I was like, holy cow. Like when, I had not heard of a 10 out of 10 before from IGN. And so I immediately drove to the comic shop that was, uh, you know, in yeah, I was in Plano. And in Plano, I believe it was at that time, it was Lone Star Comics. But it uh, it was either Lone Star Comics or Madness Comics, one of the two. Uh, but I got it, I read it, and I was like, oh wow, yeah. And so then I subscribed uh, through Midtown at that point. But I, it, it's just five issues. But it's it's a story of a guy who is he meets Godzilla or sees Godzilla for the first time in sort of that first Godzilla in the 1950s. So it, it, the first issue takes place in 1954-ish when Godzilla first shows his face. And then each issue after that is set 10 years later. So that's why it's called the Half-Century War because it's essentially a long-form, in short-form version of humanity's fight against Godzilla and how really he is a force of nature and you can't really beat him. You can only try to survive. And so you get you get a cool story in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. And then in each episode or each issue, I think they have it's been a while since I've read it, but they uh, uh, they have a different creature in it as well. And all of it is done by James Stucco. And so if you guys don't know James Stucco, I barely know him as well. I just know him from Godzilla. He does some other great stuff. He did a bit in the the Venom Annual, and he also did uh, another great recommendation, which is Godzilla in Hell highly recommend this one as well another five issue series super short and on comiXology uh, where godzilla goes to hell and each issue is him going into another layer of hell to face himself basically so there's a bit where he's fighting uh like all these zombies there's one where he's fighting like a zombie godzilla essentially like if if you know uh, dante's inferno met godzilla where he goes into a new layer of hell each time the artwork is insane uh, James Stucco does, I don't remember if he does all of it or if he does only one issue, but every issue is gold. Like there's so many beautiful sh shots of 
uh, him falling through nothingness and it says Godzilla in hell on the side like oh it just was so good and then the other one that I I would recommend I would recommend you read those two those are my two favorites but they're the other one that is in, in close third place is Godzilla rage across time and it's that same concept where it's five issues each issue is these these uh, researchers trying to investigate uh, different instances in the past where Godzilla was. So there's one story that I think is is Godzilla fighting the Greek gods. One of them is Godzilla in feudal Japan fighting like ninjas. It's wild. It's a really fun ride, uh, but it, it, really, it doesn't hit the heights of the other two Godzilla stories, but it's still really good. I really enjoyed it. So those would be my three Godzilla recommendations. And all of this, again, is in promotion and preparation, and I'm certainly not being paid for it. I wish I was, of Godzilla versus Kong which comes out on HBO Max and in theaters on the 31st. So I will have a review up for that once I've seen it. Probably, we'll see if I see it a couple times. We'll see how good it is, but I'll definitely have a review up on my thoughts for that. And that is where we will wrap this up. So thank you guys so much for coming on this journey across all of the Godzilla movies. It took two episodes. It was 15 movies long. Uh, I watched a couple of special features as well, but the, the films really do stand out. And this would be my final thought on it as just a really cool time in cinema where big monsters were made on the big screen and these really amazing miniature sets were created so that these people in suits could smash around and fight for our entertainment. So I love Godzilla, and I always will. This was this has been a blast to do, so thank you all so much for listening. For Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you on Monster Island. <laughs>